from the fabulous and famous Fitzpatrick's Castle Hotel in Dublin, Ireland. You're listening to the award-winning What's the Story podcast. Now, here's your hosts, Danny Murray and Graham Merrow Merrigan. Hello and welcome along to chapter 45 of What's the Story Podcast. 45. 45. Uh, What's the Story Podcast. My name is Danny Murray and Graham Merrigan <laughs> joins me. Hey. Do you notice how I always go, and Graham? Yeah, yeah I do like, like, the, every week. like the numbers, like the chapter numbers, you put emphasis on the. Yeah, this week I didn't do 4 or 5 though, because I normally do that, don't I? Yeah, 4 yeah. 5. Yeah, I didn't do 4 this 5. Been getting a bit of guff off people over that, so have you? Yeah, so I said I wouldn't do it anymore. No way. No, so. Only guff I get off is off <laughs> Mr. Mackle, but I don't take him serious. Yeah, so we were bullied. <laughs> um, yeah, chapter 45, man. We're the big 4 or 5 this week. Deadly. Go us. Um, do you know who else? 45. Fitzpatrick's Castle Hotel. Yeah, the award winning Fitzpatrick's Castle Hotel, along with us, the award winning Once a Story podcast. 45 years in the borough. Incredible achievement, and you can check them out, FitzpatrickCastle.com, Facebook.com, forward slash FitzpatrickCastle, um, or you can just, you know, rather than going online, why not actually pop up and have a look around here? Tell them we sent you. Great it is, great. Say the lads on What's a Story podcast sent you. Yeah, um, and inside, Graham Merrigan needs to wash his beard, don't just saying it's a health hazard if everything's in your kitchen. Is there something <laughs> in it? <laughs> no, we just like winding up on here. No, I need a trim, man. Is, is it getting yeah. a bit scraggly, is it? I just need a bit shaped, you know what I mean? I have yeah. to talk to my stylist. Yeah, yeah. I usually go to my cousin D. Reid or down to men's hair men's and co. Jay Brophy. Brophy and co. Yeah. Jay Brophy's my stylist and director. Yeah. Director of style. Look, fair play to the lads. They're making a success of something down there, they are. Come on, the lads. It's a free plug, Jay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can fix this barnet and mine son <laughs> <laughs> nobody can fix it. I'm only joking it's true when you've got a head like this John <laughs> oh, I used to uh, go to barbers or hairdressers my cousin used to well she still does do yeah um, and then a friend what was, how did I get down to men's hair call oh yeah Martin and Kira were getting married and Martin had the men that are part of the wedding party right. have a have a haircut off Jay right. and the lads and then that was last June and I I've been going back to Jay because oh. I trust them. Good man. I didn't trust my previous yeah. hairdresser at barber. Oh. oh, I see. Okay. <laughs> yeah. They gave um, me a half a haircut. My cousin Dee was in the house and she was like, "Who the hell cut your hair?" <laughs> and I was like, "So and so." Yeah. It's not cut properly. So. Yeah. That's that story. Great story. That's bro. that ramble. Co- cool story, bro. Needs more dragons. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Fucking dickhead. Graham. Yes. Do you know what time it is? Housekeeping. It's time for a little something I like to call housekeeping. <laughs> come Love here it. to me. Come here to me. Come here to me. We're a little bit late on this one. But congratulations, Leicester City Football Club. Yeah. Like. Still shocking, isn't it? It's incredible, isn't it, man? Yeah, it's crazy. A true underdog story. Five thousand to one. Someone cashed out, didn't they, in February or March? Uh, did you not hear about the chap who cashed out after day one, after Leicester's first match? And what was? He only had fifty pence on them or something like that. What was the cash out? Uh, like seventy-five pence or something like that. Oh, what did you? <sighs> I think it was Boyle Sports or that that uh, that tweeted that. That tweeted it. Unbelievable. I wonder but, how many people actually 
bet on them at five thousand to one. I can't be in that many. No, can't be in that many. But um, yeah, look, great underdog story, and that got us thinking about other, other, other is the tip of a cow. Other, under, other, other underdog stories. Um, what? So yeah, there's a lot of them what's, out there. What's your favorite underdog story? Other I, than Leicester City. I don't know if I could pick out one particular favorite. I mean, the Rugby World Cup was last year. Japan beating South Africa. Oh yeah, that was, about that. that was a glorious day for the parish, the parish of Tokyo, yeah. um, and the boys of. Um, the fish o- wasn't sushi for a week in Japan. <laughs> 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 the boys of Osaka were celebrating like mad. Um, I don't know. See, I, I don't know if I could pick out just one because there's so many of them. Um, but one that stood out to me in particular was uh, I'm going to stick with rugby and we'll talk about a few other ones but I'm going to go to 1978 October 31st 1978 to be exact Halloween the Halloween yeah all the lads trick or treating because you know got the biggest fright that night yeah. the New Zealand All Blacks is that the, the monster? monster it kills me to say it as a Leinster fan and as somebody who you know dirty southerners like do you know what I mean I can't take them at all like I'm gonna ruin the buzz and ask it go on does it count because it was just a friendly of course it club does club versus country of course it does ah club versus country come on hang on right okay the All Blacks were undefeated on that tour okay Unde- except hence alone it stands that and Ireland no Irish team bar Munster including the national team have ever beaten the All Blacks came close a couple of years ago though yeah, was oh, agonising. I was, um, but yeah, to, like to win, I, to beat the All Blacks, but beating twelve nil, twelve nil, twelve zero. Like huh. Tony Ward scoring two drop goals in conversion. Um, you know, but th- there's some interesting things about that particular game. Um, there's a story about Munster going on uh, a tour of England beforehand. For example, they played clubs like London Irish and that. Didn't do anything on it, but they bonded over a lot of alcoholic beverages, and <laughs> apparently this camaraderie was carried through to the game against the All Blacks. Um, and for people who d- people don't even watch rugby, good man, knocking the microphone out, good man. We'll Sorry. talk about Buster Douglas and Mike Tyson. Don't worry. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> but for people who 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 don't even know about rugby or that, everybody knows about the All Blacks, and everybody knows about the hacker. We all see the hacker today, and you see guys like Ma Nanu and Piri Weepu and Sonny Bill Williams, and all these guys, and they look fierce when they're doing it. Just for the crack, go onto YouTube and watch the hacker in 1978. Didn't Guinness do one out of it? Uh, they did, yeah, that's yeah, right, they yeah. did. Um, the 1978 ago. hacker is more akin to a drunk man who's on fire trying to put himself. <laughs> Out of like, you know what I mean. So you get a good bit of crack out of it. Oh man, it, it it just it is nowhere near as fierce as, as the modern day hacker. There's no, <laughs> there's no kind of like you know, ranting and raving. Like there's nobody like a man on out there to absolutely scare the bejesus out of you. What it is is a bunch of fully grown men in shorts that are a bit too high, and essentially they're jumping in the air and going. Like <laughs> it is, it's weird. It's weird. Um, but yeah, twelve nil to one. Um. The coach on the day, Tom Kiernan was his name. Legendary speech given before the match. Know what he said, Graham? What? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. He just walked in, he sat down, popped his leg up on a chair, waited for the lads to quiet down. Didn't say anything because it was a friendly. The la- he didn't say anything because of how big this occasion was. The All Blacks, Graham. It's the All Blacks. 
popped his leg up on a chair. At first, there was a few giggles while there was, you know, awkward silence and that. But then all that was left to do was to sit there in that silence and ponder into the abyss of the magnitude of the occasion. It worked, didn't it? The one. Well, they won 12 0. 12 0, you know what I mean? Um, the other side of it as well, though, an interesting little thing. Uh, Donald Kniff, the, the captain of Munster at the time, as Munster were doing uh, their parade lap, their victory lap, as it were, he got pulled aside and was told that his father had just had a heart attack and he needed to get home. I think he lived in Dublin or something. He lived like a couple of hours away. And in the process of him trying to get off the pitch because all the fans were mobbing and blah, blah, and blah, another phone call came through to say his father had passed away. He was actually listening to the match uh, on radio and had a heart attack no with way. all the excitement. So a bit actually Can you him. have a heart attack with excitement? Uh, well, he just did. Yeah, I was going to say, well, I mean, there's at least one case of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in Munster. So, yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, that's a bit mad. But, uh, yeah, as I said, only match New Zealand lost that year. Little old Munster beating Big Bad New Zealand. Well, yeah. What was I going to say? I don't know. What were you going to say? I enjoyed an underdog, the, the underdog story I enjoyed in my lifetime. I used to be a bit into the tennis, like... Wimbledon, not into the tennis. I followed Wimbledon all yeah, the time. You watched it once a year, like most other people. Yeah, yeah. And I suppose um, I watched it. Certainly, I watched Wimbledon every uh, summer when I was in school. Definitely. Yeah. Um, and I remember when the Croat Goran Ivanisevic in two thousand and one he won Wimbledon. That was a real underdog because the year before the the, the two thousand season he was ranked at one hundred twenty fifth in the world. 125th yeah 125th in the world and then a year later he won his only Grand Slam and that was Wimbledon that's mad I can't for the life of me remember who he be let's find out for you yeah what else was interesting so hang on did you say he was injured for the year before uh, he missed the whole season prior or prior to winning Wimbledon because of a shoulder sorry lost my breath there um, because of a shoulder injury right he was ranked 125th in the world. Your shoulders season. aren't important for tennis, I Absolutely. Yeah, you wouldn't be playing tennis without shoulders now. Uh, yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> like, he wasn't... He was a big name, but going into that season, he was, as I said, 125th in the world. Jeez, that's mad, all right. And he had yeah. never won a Grand Slam up until that point. Let's have a look now. Wimbledon. Who'd yeah, he, he was runner-up a couple of times, all right. Don't tell me who he'd be. Let me, just give me his nationality of his opponent. Uh, he was an Aussie. Was it Leighton Hewitt? It was not Leighton Hewitt. Was but it Alf Stewart? It was not. <laughs> no, it wasn't Alf Stewart, no. Harold Bishop? No, no. They're the only three Aussies I know. Oh, okay. No, it was. Uh, it was. It was. Unfortunately, none of those three. Um, you'll. Uh, Jason Donovan. No, no, it wasn't Kylie either. No, I've never heard of this guy, Patrick Rafter. Oh yeah, Pat Rafter. Yeah, he wore the crazy earrings. Did he? Yeah, sorry, Pat. Hang on there, I'm going to have a... Sorry, Pat, if you're listening. <laughs> Jeez, he doesn't look like a Patrick. I'm just after Wikipedia on him. He doesn't. He looks more like a... He looks more like a Simon. Does, is it fair? Like, is it... Do you do that? Do you look at people and when you hear their name, you're like, you don't look uh, like yeah, a... Yeah, all the time, man. Yeah. You don't look like a Danny. Thanks, I guess. Um, he was running up on three occasions at Wimbledon. Pete Sampras beat him twice in Wimbledon in uh, 98 and 94. And Andre Agassi, uh, who was a friend of the show, beat him in 92. <laughs> Andre Agassi, he's a friend of the show. Yeah. Of course he is. 
He's friends with John Wertheim, who was a guest on this show. Therefore, he's a friend of this show. Do you know what other underdog John Wertheim of uh, Sports Illustrated. Um, check out previous trap that was great. Do you know what other underdog story I loved in, like that I watched? What? So, like, you didn't watch Monster. No, I didn't because it wasn't a live. Because you weren't around. No. So, yeah. the garden, even is even if it's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. Uh-huh. I enjoyed that and I also enjoyed uh, Greece winning the Euros in 2004. 2004, Greece. Oh, I didn't enjoy it because it was an awful tournament and Greece were awful to watch. But no, it was I enjoyed great, it was great the moment see, that they won. Yeah, it was great to see a minnow yeah. come through and do big. Like, um, sorry, It's going to be similar to this year when Ireland win the Euros in Come on, the lads. Come on, the lads. Come on, the lads. Johnny Walters. Absolutely. Shane Long. Shane Long. Seamus Coleman. They all better be fucking fit now. Ah, they will be. Don't be worrying. Don't be. If you see, if you think, I know. If you, if I'm not going to think about things it. out there. Graham. Not. I'm not going to think about it till the opening ceremony. Yep. Um, I'm going to go with another side one. And see, this is this is where kind of my my love of history and unusual. Well, it's not an unusual sport, but not your kind of mainstream sports here would come in to to it. The miracle on ice. Have you ever heard of this documentary? There is, there's books, documentaries. Yeah, I've seen the documentary. Yeah, um, it's the 1980 Winter Olympics, the USA versus the Soviet Union. The Soviet Union had won gold at six of the last seven uh, Winter Olympics in ice hockey. So they were widely expected to, you know, just dominate again. and all that. Like, because they, like, I mean, they take ice hockey serious over there. Well, you know, it's not the Soviet Union anymore, I suppose, so they don't take it serious over there. They take it serious. What did the USSR mean? It was just Soviet for, like, in Soviet words, like. But was it an abbreviation or something? Like, United States of America, USA, USSR? Yeah, I'm sure it was. You know what I mean? Um, I know. Sorry, I just. No, no, I know. I know in Russian, it was the letter CCCP. Yeah. Which is, yeah, but it was the uh, Republic of the Soviet Union. So, like, I don't really know. How you get that from USSR? Yeah, <laughs> but I stalled quick enough to type into the internet, and that's all it gave me. <laughs> <laughs> I was always like USSR, something, 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 Russia. Uh, it's the, the, <laughs> the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics. Is it? That's what it is. Um, and their flag is just there with the old hammer and sickle for you. There, it's a great so. flag. The flag yeah. always reminds me of the the old wrestler Nikolai Volkov. Nikolai Volkov, yeah, yeah he used to come out singing the Russian national anthem. That's right, and he wore little little tiny pants on him. Yeah, little, little pants, little tiny pants. pale body. Yeah, yeah. Russian winter's hat and, Russian and winter a Soviet hat, yeah. jacket. But um, classic. This this miracle on ice thing, um, it's it's fascinating for a lot of reasons, right? One of the re- like. As I said, the Soviets had won gold. They, they were dominating ice hockey in the world at the time. The team from the USA that year that actually ended up winning gold was made up of amateur players and lads from college. So it wasn't even pro, like NHL kind of players. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, they beat the Soviets 4-3. And they went on to beat Finland to take gold. So Wow. Well. Like, it was mad. And th- there are loads of... The documentary's brilliant, but there's another documentary. And I think I talked about it before on a chapter where we talked about documentaries. Uh, called Red Army, which is amazing. But uh, if have I watched that one? I don't. I asked you to watch it. I don't know if you did or not. But what? it features heavily about a guy called Sava Fedosov. No, I need who, to watch him on a fucking love documentary. Yeah, well, this is a brilliant one. Fedosov was arguably one of the best hockey players ever. He went on. Um, he's kind of the the guy who's at the catalyst for guys from the Soviet Union. It's not Netflix. It's not. No, no. Uh, well, it's not. It wasn't when I watched it. It might be since. Yeah. 
Um, but it's on like Putlocker and Vimeo and all them lads. Like, so you'll find it handy enough. But Fedosov was, uh, he was the captain of the Soviet Union team later on. And he was the first guy that kind of really pushed the bar and set the kind of thing of kind of USSR, Soviet Union guys going to play in America for money as opposed to just playing for the Union. Like, And it, it caused a shitstorm. Like, it's amazing, that story. He's now the Minister for Sport in Russia. No so, way. So I know. So I know. But, uh, yeah, if you can watch that documentary, Red Army, and that covers this Miracle on Ice thing as well, like, well worth watching. Great stuff. But that was an underdog story as well. All of the underdog stories you mentioned, like, if, in football terms, you can go to Liverpool, Wimbledon from 88 FA Cup final as the well. The crazy gang. The crazy gang. Vinnie Jones and co. Yeah, beating Liverpool. But does any, any of them surpass Leicester? Like, forget no. about, you know, their points tally... You know, their points tally in another season with the so-called top teams playing on form would never have won the league. But is this the best underdog story, um, Leicester? I think, yeah, I think it's definitely It's been there. enjoyable, hasn't it? I'm delighted. Uh, do you know who I'm really delighted for? Claudio Ranieri. Yeah, lovely man. He, like, do you know what's great about him? He didn't watch the match against Spurs because he was talking to his 96-year-old mother. Yeah. How can he you flew. He flew that? back. This yeah, Italy to to be with her. How can you not love that? Do you know who his ninety six year old mother's favorite player was when he was at Chelsea? I did hear about this. Damien, uh, Damien Duff. Duff. Damien Duff. Yeah, that's she cool. loved Damien Duff. And when yeah. Ranieri didn't pick him for a, a Champions League match, she gave out him. She gave out him. Yeah, that's, that's brilliant, gas, isn't it? Um, what are underdog stuff though? Like I don't think that is. I, I think the Leicester one. Well, is. like the, the story is underdog, and the players are underdogs. Yeah, like yeah. Meradzi is that his name? Huh? Meradzi. <laughs> Who's your man that won the Player of the Year? Mares. Mar- Meradzi. <laughs> Where are you going, Meradzi? Meraz. Um, Riyad Mares was playing League Two and for Rennes, wasn't he in France? Uh, one of them teams in France, anyway. Like I love France. Verdi. Was yeah, playing non league. Yeah. It's their players. Even their players are underdogs. Yeah, and um, the other side of it then, considering that it all started from a couple of underage players going on a dirty holiday to Thailand. Yeah, that's true. And a bit of, bit of, you know. Yeah, this where yeah. that's how Ranieri was. Ultimately, Nigel Pearson got sacked because his son. Well, Nigel Pearson didn't believe his son should have been. Given the boot, yeah, exactly. So there was was a mutual, well, well, mutual agreement. I think, I think a son should have been if you're doing things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not gonna look. We won't. Won't dwell into that because it's not worth it. Other underdog stories, so Graham um, Buster Douglas defeating Mike Tyson. Now that that is one that might just be up there with Leicester City. Buster Douglas was, you know, a kind of journeyman of heavyweight boxing. I think you'd say. Mm. Um, Mike Tyson undefeated at that stage, hadn't been past the fifth round, was knocking people out for fun. Yeah. Long comes Buster Douglas takes him through the fifth round. He's getting the better of him. He had like a ten inch reach advantage, I think. And yeah. he was just popping him with jabs, popping Definitely, him with jabs. Yeah. And then uh Tyson knocked him down in the eighth and there was controversy over that because apparently it was a long count. And then uh Buster Douglas goes and knock Iron Mike out in the tenth round to take the gold. Was that fight in uh Japan? It, yeah, it was in the Tokyo Dome. Yeah, in the Tokyo Dome. What's mad about it is that everyone thought it was so much of a foregone conclusion. That Vegas, so they're the guys who set the bar for betting in terms betting, of boxing yeah. and all that. No casino would take money on that fight except the Mirage. And they set odds of 42 to 1 for Buster Douglas to win. 42? For, which I know it's not 5,000. In 5, the two 000. horse race? Yeah, I was going to say, exactly. It's not 5,000 to 1, but bearing in mind, 
Leicester have 19 other horses to run against Yeah. Them. Buster Douglas was going one on one with Mike one Tyson. One, yeah. 42 to 1. Um, you knocked him out, man. Yeah, I'd sometimes... Uh, now, I think that is definitely an underdog story, but sometimes I don't... Well, I suppose I'm saying MMA, because when you're watching an MMA fight, anyone, like... Anyone can beat anyone. Anyone can beat anyone. Matt Serra beating George St. Pierre for the welterweight title. That was that was a shock, but was it an underdog story? Definitely. Nobody expected Serra to win that fight. Yeah, so it was a shock, but it, like Serra was a good fighter. It's not an underdog. Good jiu-jitsu guy. He's not coming from underdog status, though, is he? I think he probably... I think he would be considered an underdog there. He's mm. kind of a porky welterweight, you know what I mean? He loves pasta, loves that kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Like, if you looked at George St. Pierre and then looked at Matt Serra, you'd be kind of going... Ah, yeah, St. Pierre is the athlete there, isn't he? Like, yeah. And don't get me wrong, I love Matt Serra. Absolutely love Him and Ray Longo are probably two of my favourite personalities in MMA, like. And that Dana White show, looking for a fight that Matt Serra is on. It's hilarious. Matt Serra's brilliant. He's a, I'd actually love to get him on the podcast. Um, <laughs> Put the request but, through. Yeah, we should, actually, yeah. Um, we'll have a production meeting about this. Yeah. Discussing that on air. Anyway. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I think that will be. I think Matt Serra will be an underdog there. I don't think so. I think it's a shock more than an underdog story. Because okay. he was a good, rounded fighter. Yeah, I'm not saying he's not. I just... Yeah, all right, fair enough. Um, the other one is that, and we'll move on to... Leicester, Leicester's underdog because... They were facing relegation last season. Yeah, yeah. Um, all their players were former non-league players, beating the juggernauts of Man United and Chelsea and, well, and they Arsenal. Drew, they, they drew with United twice. Just one point that it. Did they not beat them at the King Power Stadium? Is that not one all? I believe when Vardy scored for the eleventh time in a row. Um, Was it one off? Two one alls that they have with United. I'm ninety nine percent certain of that. <laughs> you um, know what it meant anyway. They beat. The old giant Liverpool that you can't really call them a giant you anymore. You can't call them giant anymore at all now. Eleven consecutive games. Let's see now. So it's one-one draw against Manchester United. Well, sorry, apologies, to Man United fans. Yeah, just because you know, but you get the point. Like, they um, they won the league against juggernauts like Chelsea, Man yeah. United, Man City, the Arsenal. The, maybe one of the only other team things that you can maybe compare it to and again I'm going a little bit obscure with this and it stems from an ESPN 30 for 30 documentary mm. I love them documentaries man there's one called Survive in Advance and it's about the uh, South Carolina Wolfpack just the South Carolina college basketball team um, and they won an NCAA Division 1 basketball title the only one I think they've ever won their history they might have won one more actually I can't remember but uh, they were they were not even ranked. They weren't given a hope at all. And they went down and won it. But the coach is a guy called Jim Vilvano, who uh, is just this amazing bloke. He's dead now, about 20 years. But he set up a thing called the Fee Foundation, Cancer Research Foundation. Still goes to this day. It raised a lot of money for cancer in America. But if you can watch that documentary, do. If there's one documentary you watch in the next week or month, make it that. ESPN 30 for 30 survive in advance can I recommend a, a documentary is it sport related no oh for god's sake we're on underdogs go on anyway go on bang bang and pun yang bang bang and pun yang yeah is it's, that going to are people going to have to look over their shoulder it's, it's actually is a sport documentary okay it's Dennis Rodman going to North Korea oh this is the thing with Matt Cooper yeah it's I wanted unbelievable to watch this. I watched it yesterday 
Oh yeah, I've wanted to watch this. Since Matt Cooper talked about I'm it. So fascinated by North Korea. He wrote it. Matt Cooper wrote, uh, Cooper wrote a book about. Did he write the book? I think so. I know he, he was, he going was to. he was supposed to be writing the book, but he narrates. Matt Cooper uh, narrates the documentary and actually goes over to North Korea yeah. with Dennis Rodman. This is the whole thing of. Uh, Dennis Rodman and former NBA stars go to North Korea to play an exhibition to play basketball match against the North Korean national squad which Dennis Rodman has picked on a previous trip yeah but I, I don't really want to wreck it but I'm just recommending it yeah that yeah. you'll get it on Portlocker um, Bang Bang and Punyang and it's it's fascinating yeah. view I, de- I have actually I, I really want to watch that that's a good one it's an hour and a half long um, it's brilliant deadly anyway that's underdogs I needed to document I needed to Get yeah. that out of my chest. If if you can think of underdog stories, that's uh, tweet us now. now at WTS Pod. Any local um, underdog stories, like Leinster Senior League local uh, underdog stories? Really? Yeah, I'd love to hear that. On your own, kid. Um, well, I bet you <laughs> our listeners will like it. Fair enough. All right, calm down. You're just gonna get Brack versus Joe's rivalry coming no, in, aren't you? No, I, t- I, I don't know. Something tells me there's a wayside story. I'm sure there is. When they got to the FAI Cup, can't remember though. Someone anyway, will tell yeah. me. Um, Graham. Yes, I've become a grown up. Okay, I've started drinking coffee. <laughs> I in, never in, taught you to drink coffee in my twenty eight years in this planet. I think I tried coffee once in my life at the age of about eleven. What, what has made you so pretentious? Um, <laughs> wait, have we talked about this? Probably. I can't. Well, what, what actually happened was uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was at a Leinster match, and uh, the lovely Oxana was there. Oh, we did me. talk about that. Did we? Yeah. Yeah. And since I've been drinking it steadily since, yeah, it's magic, Graham. Although the one thing I have to say is that players havoc with me now. Players havoc with my bladder when I'm yeah. drinking coffee. Um, I, I think love the gingerbread ones that they come out had, at Christmas. I don't drink coffee now. all the time now. Uh, so not pretentious. Hazelnut latte is, is my thing. <laughs> so not only have I become a grown up, I've become a grown up. Recession is truly over. I was going to say I've become a grown up female who seems to have disposable <laughs> income. <laughs> Walking in or in hazelnut latte. Hazelnut lattes. You know, spiced hazelnut latte. None of this kind of uh, just a black coffee there, mate. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. None of that. No. Um, can I get a hazel? And can I get an extra pump? Can I get? Because that's what you say when you What's want. What's a pump? That, a pump of hazelnut, the hazelnut flavour and stuff. Okay, an extra pump. Oh, Danny, what and is it wrong with you? Tastes like you've hazelnut. turned into David Brock. That's a libel. <laughs> 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 to you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's yeah. Other than that, no, nothing really. Anytime I drink coffee, it just runs straight out of me. Yeah, yeah, that's good to know. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, that's it for housekeeping. Kind of. Who are our guests this I, week? I wasn't going to say short and sweet. Um, more so kind of twenty-five minutes long housekeeping. But anyway, who are our guests this week for chapter forty? Well, as you know, for the last few weeks we've been talking about the fact that Fitzpatrick's Hotel are celebrating forty-five years in the borough. And as people who listen to this podcast will know, we like to bring you stories from the borough and talk about the borough at large. So we decided that we'd do a little bit of a history type thing, but also feature the family behind Fitzpatrick's Castle. So we've got owner and CEO... The Fitzpatrick's? (laughs) So we've got owner and CEO, uh, Ethna Fitzpatrick, Scott Lennon, and her son, Mark, who's the manager here. Mark Scott Lennon. General manager and director. Yep, great people. Mm-hmm. Um, so they'll be telling us a bit about this place. Because, I mean, look, look, this this is the interesting thing, right? When we were researching this, um, and we were looking at kind of history of the board and that, and then we decided, no, actually, look, 
let's start with one kind of thing that we can focus in on because the borough is a big enough place and there's a lot of history in the borough mm. but let's let's have a focal point and branch out from there so we said all right what about the castle in 45 years why not we're chapter 45 nice little tie in there yeah. makes sense great let's do that man this thing has some history yeah. and as you'll hear from um ethna and mark i'm pointing at chairs that they were sitting in um, when we recorded with them, by the way, then, <laughs> this is the, again. Peel, We're sitting in yeah, there. Sorry, yeah, peeling, <laughs> peeling back the curtain every week here. We we record with them, and then we well, after they leave because they're busy people and they don't need to be um, hassled by us. Exactly, yeah, hassled by me and Graham. So we record with them, let them go, and then me and Graham do our bit. And uh, through the magic of editing and whatnot, it's all pieced together in a form that you're listening to now. Lucky you. Um. But because I'm handsy when we record, I like to point at things, <laughs> yeah. and I'm pointing handsy. to pointing to invisible people right now. So <laughs> and the, thing, the thing about the what I the Fitzpatrick's ho- uh, hotel, yeah, Facebook page, yeah, they're doing. I love archive Facebook.com forward slash Fitzpatrick Hotel. I love um, archive photos. Yeah, going back years. Yeah, and they have some great photographs of the the area here and. Um, like there used to be tennis courts out the back, and until they renovated the place when they bought it. So yeah, we spoke to him anyway. It was good crack. Yeah, lovely people. Um, great dynamic, I have to say. And it, yeah, it's it's great as well because it's a family-run business. But look, we'll we'll let them tell you about that in a couple of minutes. But first, right, last week, no, sorry, a couple of weeks ago, you asked me, was this always a castle? And I said, I think so, but I don't know. I'll find out for you. Yeah. So Graham, I went and found out for you. Yeah. You. Um, no, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> Short and sweet. There you go. No, originally it was kind of a large country house type because this used to be almost the bog. It was that far out of the city. Yeah. Because they didn't have dual carriageways and the rock road. Well, the rock road was there probably, but they didn't have, you know, as many things infrastructurally yeah. that would bring people. The jailer wasn't there. No, exactly. Yeah, like the Wyattville Road wouldn't have been there. Then. Probably just would have went through the village. Yeah, probably, Ballybrack. yeah. Ballybrack Village, maybe. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, I, I probably should have found that out in my research. But anyway, um, it was originally kind of this and Cloyney Hill would have been all in the one ground kind of thing. And uh, it was called Mount Mappas, M-A-P-A-S, after Colonel John Mappas, who owned the house and land. And uh, it was him who erected the obelisk, or witch's hat as we know it today. Yeah, Victor- Victoria Hill, named um, after uh, 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 Queen yeah. Victoria. There you go, look at this. So that was a uh, He built that because of her visit, didn't he? No, no, that was 1742. He'd done that. Victoria wasn't until the 1800s, man. All right. Don't worry, I've done the research. I'll tell you all about it. <laughs> go so, on. Uh, yeah, so that obelisk there, right, has an inscription on it. And it reads, Last year, being hard with the poor, walks about these hills, and this were erected by John Mappas, June 1742. So what that's probably referencing is the famine of 1740-41. Not the 1845 famine. Not the potato famine. This is a famine that was caused by mad weather. Like, seriously cold weather. Like, remember a couple of weeks ago when you were moaning about the cold up here? <laughs> and you turned the radiator <laughs> that on. Was, that was, was like, a famine. I was like, Graham, it's May. What are you turned the radiators on for? No. No, this was kind of... This was frost that would hurt your nipples. <laughs> it was nasty, like... Like, we're talking, like, horrendously cold, mm. which was weird because, you know, it doesn't get that cold here. So, uh, 
Yeah, they uh, there's no official records to say how cold it was because they don't have official records back in the 1700s. But they do have a bunch of amateur lads who like to record the weather because you know they need to get a life and they didn't have Sky Digital back in the <laughs> 1700s. Um, and somebody said that uh, based on the thermometer in their gaff, it was as low as minus 12. And other people have it saying that there were 32 degrees of frost. Um, which is where the original adaptation of Fifty Shades of Grey came from. <laughs> really? Yeah, 32 degrees of frost. So what they used to lock people in a freezer and do things. <laughs> like in that book. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I am so, trying in some way to bring history to the masses here. Mm. It's not working, is it? I don't know. <laughs> I'm looking at your face again. Cause this, is this new information to you? Do you know yeah, but now I read up. I read up on a bit of it. Oh, tell me something about it. Um, Chippendales. <laughs> <laughs> the Chippendales were... The Chippendales, okay. ...created right. from your man Chippendale. Okay, all right. Um, you've jumped forward a bit there now. But, yeah, all right. Would you be referring to uh, Chum- Thomas Chippendale Higgin? Yeah, that's that's the guy. He, was, he, uh, he, he, he started the Chippendales that we know today. It's true. He used to uh, go down to Dunleary. <laughs> and do strip teases to Tina Turner, private dancer. <laughs> <laughs> we're messing now. We're messing. We're messing, messing. now. Um, no, uh, no, you are right though. There was a bloke, Thomas Chippendale Higgin, um, but he's he's in the twentieth century, the nineteen hundreds. He owned a gaff, and he's buried up the top of the hill at Docky Quarry. Is he? There's a broken Celtic cross up there, and um, and that's his grave. Allegedly, that's what people say. I I, I can't. I haven't gone up, dug it up, yeah. made sure he was in there, and then put it back together or anything. Like. But th- that's what records say. Yeah, apparently he loved it so much that he wanted to be... It's his land as well, wasn't it? Uh, well, yeah, yeah, like he was the owner of this area at the time. Um, and the inscription on that Celtic cross reads, Dust thou art to dust, return it, was not written of the soul. Which would suggest somebody's dead there. Yeah. You know, the whole dust part of that. Dust part, yeah. So... I'm guessing he is up there. Fair play to him. <laughs> but uh, yeah, him him and his wife, uh, whose name escapes me because I didn't write it down, uh, planted a lot of the gardening stuff that you would see in this area. And a lot of it remains to this day. Yeah, look, we, we skipped on a bit there because um, there's a good few owners of this. There, there were a good few owners of this place. Like, um, over kind of cars for 100 years. Um, High Sheriff of Dublin owned it at one stage. Edward, oh, Edward Mansell. I know nothing about him besides he was the High Sheriff of Dublin because <laughs> that's all Wikipedia would tell What's me. What's the High Sheriff? Like, you, know, you know what a sheriff like? That's, they still have sheriffs though, don't they? They do, yeah. They, they're a little bit different to how they'd be in America now but they'd be the lads that if you owed a lot of money and there was a... they take you out of your house. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Or they'd come in and take things out of your house rather than taking you physically out of your house. So the High Sheriff, yeah, he owned <laughs> this at one point? Yeah, Edward Mansell or Mounsell I think was his name. Um, Henry Loftus. Now, this lad's interesting because he was the first Earl of Eloy. So, you know Eloy Place out in town? All right. That's, I think, named after him. All right. And then the guy after him, John Scott, also known as Lord Clonmel, and the Lord of Ellsford. And that's how Earlsford Terrace and Clonmel Street out in Dublin got their names after oh. him. He owned the place as well. He owned it as well, yeah. He was a judge and sometimes was referred to as Copper Faced Jack. 
and this is this is true, by the way. This is, I'm not making this up. There was even a play written about him, or he featured in the play. And uh, there's a line on something like, oh, that old copper-faced Jack, or whatever it was. He was the butt of several jokes in it anyway. But uh, hence the nightclub out in town, coppers, which has started many a relationship, I believe. Yeah. Between country folk and Dublin folk. Between nurses and doctors. And nurses and, and teachers. doctors and teachers and other civil servants. Yeah, <laughs> the civil servants hub. So, yeah. Um, and then after uh, Copperface Jack. Um, what year are we at now with Copperface Jack? So we're into the 1800s here. So 1830s. It's mad. Um, and in the 1840s, um, a guy called Robert Warren took ownership of it. And he was the one that enlarged it into a castle. And called Cliney Castle. So that's how Cliney Castle came to be. Got its name. It's mad, isn't it? Like, I remember I was saying to you a couple of weeks ago about, I always had it in my head uh, that it was actually a mytholo- mythological castle. Like a, medie- a medieval. A medieval. Not mythological, because that wouldn't exist. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, but I've been like, you know what you yeah, see yeah, in yeah, the I know what you mean, my- yeah. mythological land. Medieval, yeah, no, it was originally a large country house and then it was expanded and turned into a castle. And you see that with um, the pictures of the Facebook, um, like where we record, we're in, we're in what's known as the extension of the hotel. Yeah, kind of the wing, yeah. The wing, but if you see in the pictures on the Facebook page, you just see it from without the extension and it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's crazy. Um, his son, Robert Warren's son then, is the fellow who sold the land at a park to uh, to the British. For uh, Queen Victoria's Jubilee. And that was in uh, 1887. And the park then was open to the public. And declared a public grounds in honour of Her Majesty. And uh, it was actually her son. Prince Albert Victor of Wales. Who renamed the Victoria Hill. Very. Um, Some people still know it as today. Very uh, kind of British. In what sense? Like. I suppose. The. The. the <sighs> Because it started with kind of like guys who are higher up, like yeah. lords and that kind of stuff. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, lords. Yeah, I get lord. what you mean. Yeah, yeah. Like, did the IRA have anything to do out here? Funny you should say that, Graham. Um, because as Jordan, the, like all the land, all, land all this, league, all this crack. Like, yeah, yeah. Well, it's kind of weird that you say all this, like, uh, or that you bring that up because um, El, your man that was in the Chippendales that you're talking about earlier. <laughs> yeah, uh, he died in 1911. And then, I don't know exactly how or what happened that it changed hands then after him, but uh, the Black and Tans, allegedly, were using this place for a little while. Were using it? For a little while, yeah. And then the IRA also had a little hand in here or two. It was then set on fire by the Free State, Free State Army. Like to the ground? Like the hole? I don't think it was raised to the ground, but I think enough damage was done. Just in history, isn't it? Yeah. Then during World War Two, it was used for um, army billets, like ar- army, like housing for soldiers, kind of thing, from the stage during World War Two. Well, yeah. And then uh, ultimately, that uh, kind of went into a little bit of obscurity, a little bit of dilapidation. How long was it in obscurity for? Well, I thought about maybe thirty, thirty years or so. And nobody lived here for thirty years. I don't know if nobody lived yeah. here or not, but it wasn't until the seventies when. The Fitzpatrick's family bought it that it started to get restored to its once glory. There you go. That's kind of the history. That's a very brief history. I've probably left a lot of stuff out or done some disservice to somebody along the way. But that's kind of how this place stands today and where it all came from. 
Deadly. So think about all that history, and now it's an award-winning hotel. Yeah. That we record in. And actually, that's something that made me look into that as well. Officially, we are Ireland's only podcast that come regularly from a castle. <laughs> Deadly. Take that, Irish man abroad. Take that. Take that. <laughs> there you go. Look at that. Just another thing we can throw in as well. Yeah, the yeah, award-winning. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> the award-winning and only podcast to be recorded in a castle. Yeah, like there's been people who have recorded a podcast in other castles. Yeah, but none not of this them, one. None of them have a residency in a castle. One nail WTS part. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. But anyway, there you go. That's uh, that's kind of the history of this part of the border. Maybe some other time we'll talk about the history of uh, Ballybrack. You know what Bally, Bally, Bally You know what that all means? What? Home of the speckled trout. Really. Well, it's home with a speckled something. I just like saying the word true. <laughs> <laughs> Sean Lamas was born in Ballyrack. Yeah, he was. Yeah, that's correct. As was uh, Davin of the Land League. As was Graham Ireland. Who was he? Oh. Uh, you go. <laughs> um, anyway, look. We've prattled on enough. What do you say we let our guests tell a story or two? Yeah. Brilliant. We'll hand it over to Edna Fitzpatrick, Scott Lennon, and Mark Scott Lennon of Fitzpatrick's Hotel. So our guests this week are Mark Scott Lennon and his mom Etna Fitzpatrick Scott Lennon, who are the owners and all-round runners, bosses. You, you do everything up here in Fitzpatrick's. Well, there's really. only one owner and boss. Oh, yeah, we'll correct that from the start. But yeah, <laughs> I'll get in trouble if I don't admit that. <laughs> well, Etna and Mark, thanks very much for joining us anyway, um, and thanks very much for letting us use the facilities here it's, it's working out great for us so we can't complain um, and happy birthday to the hotel yeah thank for, you very much 45 yeah. years 45 years long time yes. yeah brilliant um, we'll, we'll talk all about it as well because I'm sure the castle has a fascinating history in that 45 years alone never mind what came before that mm. so um, but how, Edna, I suppose, how did it all start how did Fitzpatrick's castle come to be well, my dad, my late dad, Paddy, um, was born and bred on Vico Road in Dawkey. So he had, um, all through his life, an affinity with the castle because he saw it kind of change from one thing to another. And I think locally they called it the old Bastille. But it was it was veritably a wreck or yeah, very much, very decrepit by the time. He saw it come on the market in 1970 and at that time he was working for PV Doyle. We had moved from Wexford where he had worked for the Staffords and he'd come back to Dublin to live in Kalini, his own home um, down the road, working for PV and he saw Kalini Castle come on the market and he said, that's it, everything's hocked. House was mortgaged, holiday home in Rosslair sold, anything he could sell that moved he, he sold. <laughs> <laughs> And we bought Kalini in November 1970. Um, but then there was a lot of work, huge amount of work and renovation to be done. Yeah. Was it the dilapidated? Very, very really? dilapidated. It would have been only nine rooms. Ish. Well, there were actually, believe it or not, converted stables um, at the back that you're far too young to remember. <laughs> um, and they were used as bedrooms in the 40s when it was a hotel. It was a tourist hotel where most of their customers would have come from Wales on coaches and they'd come for two-week holidays over on the ferry, stay two weeks in Kalini and go back. Um, and a lot of them would have been, yeah, I suppose they would have, uh, 
they travel to Wicklow and a lot a lot of those older customers that are still alive many of them um, have really good memories of coming here and kind of this was really out in the country mm-hmm. Kalani was out in the country but um, in any event yes when we bought it it was it was a derelict wreck there were about 28 rooms but they were all like I had said in the old converted stable yard so there might have been four rooms to a bathroom and four rooms to a toilet should I say and eight rooms to a shower or a bath and in every little room there was an iron bed and under every bed there was a pole and in every room there was a stand a wash stand with a, a pitcher and a bowl and what's that was po- it. What's a pole? A pole, a potty. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there you go. A long way from so, your entry yeah. into our plumbing grain. Yeah. That's what it is. There you go. in some of the rooms. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't. But um, it's very funny because my mum... <laughs> My mum and myself were kind of detailed to go off and do the inventory the day we took over. So I'd just come from school and I was in my school uniform and kind of, you know, the copy book in hand. And we were going down this rickety old corridor. And I remember seeing a four-legged creature going from one side to the other. And I went, oh, no, I can't bear this, ma'am. You know, I've got a skirt on and I do it. And she said, you just better keep going. Come on. The quicker we get it done, the quicker we get downstairs. You know? <laughs> oh I'll never forget it. It was just dreadful. So they really were um, the basis of our first rooms, I suppose. Dad uh, renovated the old castle, obviously, which is, is a beautiful old house, um, but really only has eight rooms. And then this, whatever you call it, 1920s conversion, we turned into 14 bedrooms. So we had eight up and eight down, but they were all en suite yeah. <laughs> by the time we'd finished no with those. them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. And he, and he also then he got planning permission to build the, the swimming pool and the first, the first floor on the front of the building. That would have been about 1972. So the swimming pool went in in 72 yeah. as well? Yeah, oh, the swimming good. pool went in in 72 and we completed the first floor of rooms on the front with that you'd see now as the new building. Mm. Um, in 73 and then later in the 70s then the next two floors went on with balconies so the f- whole front kind of so we had to get the balconies. Your, your father had to get the money up to buy but yes. then also money to invest. then we had to borrow yeah wow Mm. So and he was, and believe me, he was borrowing to the day he died. <laughs> really, still paying for it. <laughs> <laughs> so, I suppose just I, I have a question. Just jumping ahead, say to the eighties, um, because there was a recession in the eighties, and we've just some people say we're out of recession, some people say we're still in it. So, yeah, what what were like the the recession in the eighties to the recession now? Like, is there a comparison or? There's a comparison in in that I suppose the one common ground would be it hit the construction industry. It slammed it to death. Now, the recession that we've just come through probably was on a larger scale and hit the construction industry in an even bigger scale. But in the early, in the 80s, when the recession hit, it just wiped construction out completely. And we were in the throes of building apartments next door in the old orchard, another way of raising money to do more with the castle and to expand um so he had he basically got planning to build 48 apartments in the grounds of the old orchard next door we got the first two buildings up 
and partly sold and the next two buildings out of the ground and everything went boom down into the sewers and nothing was selling we couldn't pay the builders it was just a disaster I'll always remember those days because I'll always remember my old man being just so stressed by it you know terrified he wouldn't make the wages the next week um really now frantic frantic Mm. it was awful and I remember being a a feared afraid for him uh we were all terrified at home we were all stressed by it because he was worried and stressed and we'd never seen him like that before so yeah I have to I remember those days I remember also him swearing I'll never let this happen again but he was gone when this hit recession hit so yeah. <laughs> wasn't he lucky <laughs> so, his, so his grandson lived through this recession yeah. and worked in the hotel business like is, uh, were the same pressures of this most recent recession there from than they were in the 80s no I think this recession Mark you can speak for yourself but uh, this recession was extremely hard because we were highly geared I had just bought out my siblings which was a succession plan so I had raised a lot of money on the back of here um, which was fine because the banks were throwing away money um, but when the recession hit the foreign banks especially wanted their money back and they wanted it back then and so it was to survive it was a slash and burn time you literally had to cut the ribbons out of your overheads mm. we had to let go really long serving staff that would have been working for my dad for years it was a very painful time let's yeah. put it that way it really it it got you it stuck knives in you but and what were the what Mark, what were the what would challenges have been in in like slashing prices, I remember just driving around the city even and seeing prices. Yeah, that that was the big thing. I think the D four hotels that a lot dancer for in Dublin they were selling whatever the old um, Clyde or what what became the Clyde Court. Um, old Bridge hotels. Yeah, yeah. They, they were selling rooms for forty nine a night with all the all the vases and all valuable stuff from the old five star hotel taken out and. You know, that damaged the market badly. People like that, you know, Nama hotels and then also um, the, the D4 hotels, they were just trying to keep, they were just trying to take cash flow and they didn't care and they damaged the, the market for everyone. I remember I would have only been starting out in management around that time and you, you'd get calls on the phone from people looking for deals and you'd, you'd get quote them a price and they'd say, well, I can get that in Tullamore for... You know, I can get two more nights and an extra dinner. And you're saying, well, you know, what are you competing against? Everything was just the prices in everywhere. would just dropped through the floor and it was so hard to get uh, get the price. Everyone just was all about price and value. Because I think there was a time, maybe 2011 or 2012, mm. where people were actually, I think, two programs on RTE, I recall, people, um, presenters like Eddie Hobbs encouraging consumers to ring around and that oh, sounds yeah. like an example of that like ringing yeah. you well I'm getting this price down the road well even you know at the same time as the boom in Groupons and living socials and all that and they're you know it, they serve a purpose I suppose but at the same time just appreciation or value was taken out of the market it was all about price and there was no you know this hotel's better than that hotel or you know this is Dublin City and that's Kilkenny it was look, you're a four-star hotel, I can get that for cheaper somewhere else. And it was all about the price, not what the product that was being delivered. Um, I think it was kind of a bit of a perfect storm with all the mm. living social and, and the recession and 
the downward uh, spiral on prices. Plus, we weren't <coughs> we weren't playing on an even playing pitch. Mm. You know, you were playing against Nama and bank-owned properties who were literally just opening the doors and running cash through them. So they really didn't give a damn. We, on the other hand, were a family-owned hotel trying to survive, keep our staff and their families <coughs> employed, yeah. you know. So we had more than just a hotel to run and run cash through. We had to keep the place alive. And if it hadn't been for, I think, the fact that we, we, we were as old and as long in the business as, as we were and are, and we didn't have the loyal customer base, we were mm. scuppered. We had a huge loyal customer base, from Northern Ireland especially, that we'd built up over the years. And without those customers in terms of our leisure business, we really would have lost the war. Mm. Um, equally, I think we made a very concerted effort locally to um, our corporate business. You see, we're surrounded by Cherrywood and Sandyford and along by Pottery Road there. A lot of a lot of those big corporations give us business and gave us business. But we literally went out nearly with the begging bowl during the recession and said, we're begging you, we need the business, don't consider giving your business to anyone else but your local hotel. We're the ones that have a personality. We're the ones that are real people trying to employ real people. We will give you real service. And we really backed our horse on that one. And we would host dinners and functions for secretaries and personal assistants, managers, CEOs, anyone we could get into the place. And we literally stood up. I stood up and begged and said, you know, I'm running myself against a NAMA run hotel down the road or a receiver run hotel up the road, please help support us because we won't survive if you don't. And was there ever a threat of going at the receivership? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. very definitely. I came close to it a few times. Yeah, I did. Um, I got angry when that was suggested, I have to say. So get me angry and I fight. <laughs> it's, it's interesting though as well with all that because the, the fact that, as you said, it's support a local hotel the family run business essentially mm. I know speaking from Graham Noy's point of view as it is so local at least for me I can remember kind of since I was a kid every year at Christmas my family we'd, come, we'd have dinner downstairs in a dungeon on mm. Christmas Eve that was and mm. Liam and the guys used to always look after us and it was it's great like we still do we've done it this Christmas we've done it all the way through so I suppose when you say about the support and that kind of the fact that you're going out and the locals are coming in, mm. that obviously plays a part. Weddings especially as well, Huge. that kind of stuff. Yeah. Like, mm. um, So that must be kind of good as well when you see you have the confidence of the people, of the border kind of thing, mm. yeah. coming in and backing you with weddings, with family dinners and things like that. Well, it's what it makes it, what makes this place so special to me and I'll always cite if someone says, why you love, I love working here. You know, it is, as you said, a bit of a, you know, it, it's a, it's a, for the local social community, it's a great meeting place. Uh, people come up, we're part of their daily week. You know, it's not like another hotel with transient customers. You know, myself and Ethna would load a lot of people that come through the doors and see people and know about their personal lives. And that makes it, you know, matter more in, in my eyes. Um, and even funny things like we changed the 
we changed the lobby carpet and you'll remember this uh, two three years ago um, and you have customers going up why'd you change the carpet I like the old one I, you know, I, I like the blue rather than the grey and you're like well you know madam the, the carpet was there for the last uh, 20, 20 years, years so it had its, it had a good run <laughs> and we had to change it and I, well I like the blue I was like okay and they, like, it's like you've just walked into their living room while they're out that's great and, though, yeah it? but that like it is that's great lovely. like it's, it's funny to hear but it's literally like you went into their living room while they were in making a cup of tea and changed their carpet. Like it's, it's literally that type of sentiment. I think that's great. Like a, that, that, that's what I love about the place. Yeah, it is that kind of place. That yeah. we go. It's, it's very funny, and we have we have such a variety of guests. Right through the years, we had movie stars and you know politicians and you name it. And there's still this kind of base of local business that sit there and take it for granted, which is fine. Um, but there was one funny story I'll tell. There was a, a funeral and um, I could see Bono and Ali pulling up in the car into the car park. And I thought, oh, well, the funeral party hadn't arrived. So I said, I better go out and bring them into the bar and put them into a quiet little corner, you know. That's fine. So we were chatting on the way up the lobby and I brought them into the bar. And um, the next thing I could hear this little lady saying to her friend, oh. I think I've just seen Bono and her friend said oh sure he comes in here all the time (laughs) 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 and I just thought typical you know just like you said you know they kind of consider it their living room (laughs) absolutely (laughs) how dare you change the carpet oh yeah yeah, (laughs) Uh, so getting back into being kind of the the history of the place not the Mm. um, as it was a family business but Ethna were you ever tempted to go anywhere else oh well I did Okay. Oh, God, I did, yeah. I trained in Switzerland, and then I went to the States, and I trained with Radisson for well over a year and a half. In fact, I didn't want to come home. I was offered a lovely job in Atlanta, Georgia, and I always kind of remember that moment and that phone call home and my old man saying, you get yourself home here right now. That is not... <laughs> the plan and I'm going but this is a fantastic job and I'll only stay another year you will you'll get home here he said (laughs) you're there to learn to bring back the knowledge and you come home your mother needs you at the time that was his his big wielding weapon your mother needs you I was the only girl so it was easy to say that and he'd soften me up and home I came that was the end of it but I did travel the states um, extensively after that as sales and marketing for a sales marketing director for the group, so yeah. which is on on Ethna can attest to it more. I never worked with my granddad, but he um, he had a way about convincing uh, people to do mm. what he wanted. Um, one of my uncles was telling me he worked he was working here and he's working six days a week uh, managing here, and he decided he was going to call down to the family house and speak to my granddad about getting a, a second day off in the week because he just needed a second day out he didn't mind working every hour in the sun for five but he wanted to be off for two days and he said he went down caught him at a good time in the evening sitting by the fire in the house and he chatted to him left uh, half an hour later thinking why the hell did I ever ask for another day off sure what would I do with a second day off yeah. <laughs> <laughs> had him completely twisted around and felt like an Egypt for going in and asking for a second day off so I think I think that sounds right that he'd be able That's to get you to come right. home <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What about yourself, Mark? Have you kind of, since you were a kid, been involved and always wanted to... Yeah, well, I kind of like to think I took a measured enough approach towards it. Um, I always worked here in school and since I was about 15, worked uh, in the bar, mainly in the lobby uh, on weekends. 
um, and then through this all the summers kind of full time right up and into through university and I decided after school I wasn't going to nail my colours to the mast and go down and study hospitality in Shannon um, so I did economics and politics in UCD um, but still maintained my interest in it and every summer I'd go AJ1s and I'd work in hotels and uh, worked in Marriott's in uh, Vancouver another hotel in upstate New York and kind of it was really important for me that I was able to go out work for someone else and realise you know what I'm actually pretty good at this because <laughs> you know there's always that fear you're working in a family business that people are going to tell you you're great because they know you might come home and tell mum they're great you know? <laughs> <laughs> so it was good to go out and say oh, okay I'm actually good at this I can do this so that was quite important to me and then once I started training here I kind of got the bug and were the phone calls home similar from, from Mark to the ones you experienced of <laughs> your father? I don't think so. Quite honestly, no. Yeah. I think she wanted me to stay away. Uh, well, I never wanted them to, I never wanted any of the boys to even consider coming into this business unless they really loved it. Because mm. you have to love it. There's no point. It's the kind of business you love or hate. And um, Mark certainly showed a yen for it and an enthusiasm for it. But it's a tough, tough, hard grind, and I would not, no more than my parents did with me, encourage any child to come into it unless they really loved it. But having said that, I'm one of these um, promoters of this business in this day and age to young people that are in college that need that extra job because it is one hell of a way of learning how to be worldwide. And if that's or streetwise, Street-wise yeah. um, because you can learn a lot of skills mm-hmm. here while still doing your college degree. You you can turn out to be a damn good waiter. You can be a great receptionist. Mm-hmm. You learn a lot about finance if you want to work in accounts. You're a sales and marketing guru because <laughs> mm-hmm. we teach you how to sell. And at the end of it all, you're rounded. Confidence as well. Huge yeah, confidence and people skills. And with that on a CV. If you decided to go into any one of those disciplines, out, even outside of the hospitality mm. industry, you're so well equipped, you know, and I really believe it's good oh, yeah. for, for individuals. Do you agree with oh, that? Oh, absolutely. Like every, any industry you go into, you do well if you, can, if you can deal with people and you can charm people. And I think you learn that in hospitality. You deal with difficult customers, easy customers, um, happy customers, sad customers, but... Um, but you that's smile. how that you smile exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's how you you know every industry you need to be able to deal with people. In terms of obviously, you've seen people come and go over the years, and faces have changed, and things have changed. The, the, the castle itself <coughs> has changed, and that. How do you manage all those changes and then have a family as well? How like that must have been hectic to say the least. Yeah, I have to say it was. Um, I had I, I was lucky that my husband worked in the hospitality industry and he but he worked mainly nights um, which gave it gave us some flexibility as parents so that I really worked mostly days when I got married and um, then had the four boys so we had a really good nanny Fiona from Kildare she was our she was my lifeline so if I, I had to have help and then James, my husband, Mark's dad, uh, was working mainly night shifts. So we kind of balanced it, you know, it was fine. And then we had plenty of quality time with them um, during school holidays and stuff. We, you plan it, you plan it. You have to be very organised, I will say that. 
truly organised. <laughs> I often wonder how people like Miriam O'Callaghan manage it. I just couldn't do it. Four boys was enough. At least once they got to school, they were in school. <laughs> it was only a matter of collecting them and bringing them home. The mother of God. You know, they, they actually became more troublesome as they got older. Well, we're, kind of, we're kind of blessed from a business point of view as well, from the change aspect. We are lucky compared to any other hotel I've worked in. Our head chef, Sean Dempsey's been here for 45 years and he's wow. a bit of the he's the dad of the place um, and he just keeps an eye on everything he's unbelievable he's here um, he's here six days seven or five six days a week 50 60 hours and the rest and just lives and breathes the place and he's definitely part like of the that. furniture at this stage oh. absolutely and we have people like our um, senior executive manager Sandra Jackson's been here um, for 35 35? years our uh, accommodation manager been here 25 years um, so we've uh, Mary McHugh and accountants has been here probably that's brilliant they would have well. worked with your father oh yeah there's yeah. plenty of people that would have worked with Paddy and and mum yeah hmm. <laughs> that's brilliant isn't it so they almost become part of the family yeah so that's like that, it like. kind of then it makes change easier as, as more people come in and out there is that constant there that there's you know Sean's here and uh, Sandra's here and Mary's here and they've all seen all the change over all the years so it, it does it does help now um, you do yes and you would have got um I certainly they've stopped doing it to me now because I am the boss but <laughs> um, they would have said would your father never allow that or your mother wouldn't have that and I'm you'd have to bite your tongue a few times you know At, uh, Sean Dempsey I, I was training um, as a trainee manager here and I was running one of the functions uh, and he's a real character if you ever get to meet him but he's um, he I was a bit above my station one day and he I tell him that the wedding's going to be half an hour late and they're not sitting down for another half an hour and he goes through me for a shortcut and I cut him off and just say, look, you're just going to have to get on with it. Stop moaning. It's happening in half an hour and that's it. And he pulls me over to the side and says, uh, listen here, you. There's two people that I listen to in this hotel. One is dead and the other is your mother. Now get out of my kitchen. <laughs> I'm like, okay, fair enough. Back in my box. So, yeah, I still flag him now and ask him, does he listen to me? <laughs> Oh. <laughs> oh. I have I made it onto the list is there three yeah. now yeah. I think you've earned your respect <laughs> yeah you've earned it yeah. um, and then the, your other siblings own you four younger brothers is I it four younger brothers yeah and one of them just got, uh, is in the hotels is it or well yeah John, John is in New York yeah. so he's two hotels in New York Paul um, is in the Beacon the Morgan and the Spencer Dan and Spencer Doc, he he bought that about two years ago. Mm. Um, so yeah, he broke away from, if you like, the classical Fitzpatrick style and wanted to do his own thing. So he he opened kind of boutique designer type hotels that are really rooms only. He doesn't get into fitness centres yeah. and banqueting rooms and all of that. The lucky devil. <laughs> um, and then the other two, the younger ones. Um, I want to call him, we call him Curly, but his name is Patrick. Mm-hmm. Pat and Tony, my younger brothers, they went into the development world, um, unfortunately, yeah. for they them. They didn't have the hotel. Well, they, they both. both trained in the hotels. Tony, in particular, is a trained hotelier. So if he really had to, he could come back and run a hotel, no problem, in his sleep. Mm. But he chose in, I suppose, just before he got married, really, in his late 20s, he just said, this isn't for me. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm really now sure I've made the wrong decision. And he jumped ship. 
Uh, I've three brothers so um, Joseph the youngest is just he's just been promoted to duty manager here and he's great Um, he keeps me in check Uh, (laughs) sometimes he thinks that he manages me rather than the other around but uh, that's alright but it's great to have like joking side it's brilliant to have someone like him like as, as, just as much as it's great to have mum here you know someone has your back and that they care as much as you do about the property and they care about how things are going and um, that's just really nice and I, I love working with them uh, and then my two other brothers uh, James my my eldest the eldest brother um, <laughs> he, he, um, he went into management consultancy so he did work in the hotel right through college and everything but um yeah, he went into management consultancy, so he's a senior manager in Accenture. Uh, and then David, um, he works in media buying. He's the second youngest. Um, so, yeah, just me and Joe at the moment in the hospitality So far. Yeah. <laughs> is, it, is it hard to not to bring work home, though, if it's so family-centric? Like it's... Uh, do you want to ask that? <laughs> <laughs> it, it is. It's nearly impossible. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's got a little easier now because my husband is retired. But oh god, it it yeah, it can it can just consume you if you don't you know if you let it. You really really have to be disciplined and say I am not going to talk about yeah. it and turn off that phone and forget it. You know the phone and laptops now are, are the, the devil. Oh, they are. <laughs> and I'm good at turning it off. And I feel like if somebody really wants me, they'll get me on the landline. You know, if God forbid there is an emergency, they know I'm only a few minutes down the road and I'll be there. Mm. But if you're constantly on that phone or the iPad, or you're constantly answering ridiculous emails that you mm. wait till tomorrow or... Not you, life and death type No, yes. it's awful, wasteful time. Yeah. What's, so what's great is having the, the two guys that aren't involved in hospitality mm. and they just... If, if we start to talk around oh, the dinner yeah, table about mad. it, they're just like, can we not talk about work? <laughs> Park it there. And then it's like borderline tell you to stay quiet. So... Um, <laughs> I'm allowed curse now. I'm not allowed curse now. Um, but yeah, they. <laughs> but yeah, no, they keep discipline on you, and because it is easy, I don't like. I I like to not talk about work when I'm off because I think it gives you uh, the mental energy to do to be the emotional energy to approach the job with more vigor when you are here. If you're not talking about it 24 seven, so it is. It is. It is important for me that you don't talk about it on days off, but. Like like anyone, if me and mum were in a room, we end up talking about work. So <laughs> you find as well, like there's an element of kind of you know a busman's holiday. If you go away and you stay in a hotel, you're kind of oh look at that, oh look yeah. at that. You know what I mean? Is it a judgment? Uh, my girlfriend says that to me. All right, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't yeah. stay in a hotel. <laughs> my choice. I don't. No, no. I normally would make sure that we go on an apartment holiday. Or I actually couldn't bear it. I worry. I wouldn't be able to sit tight because I'm watching bulbs missing or <laughs> waiters tripping <laughs> tripping up or not taking you know or t- would you be like Francis Brennan on the show I'd be definitely <laughs> Fran- I know Francis oh. very well and I think himself and myself should actually do a you know a, a jewel yeah. show because we would absolutely annihilate people <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, he could I, don't that, I don't think that's the point no <laughs> I'd annihilate them and he'd build them back up again yeah he'd yeah, 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 be yeah. Mr. Nice Guy I could be 
horrible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll come yeah, back yeah, 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 yeah. We'll get on to RT after this. We've <laughs> <laughs> got something to pitch them on. Yeah. <laughs> we'll narrate it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I suppose then, with all the changes that have took place over the 45 years, what's been the kind of the biggest thing that stood out to you? kind of that the most amount of work and maybe the most rewarding as well is there one thing you can kind of pin and say yeah that that's worth everything i think the most challenging part of the business over the years that i've worked in it and that's not 45 by the way i was in school 45 years ago <laughs> just in case you know yeah. <laughs> but the most challenging part was when i took over from my late father um in the early 2000s and I had never really been faced with dealing directly with staff. You know, I had been on the sales and marketing team, if you like, and on the road a lot. And maybe, if you like, we were the office gang. And when I came, I was entertaining entertaining potential customers or whatever. I wouldn't have been in the front line. Um, but when I had to kind of take over the castle, the operational end of it was challenging enough but it was handling people. I found it really challenging to handle staff. And we couldn't get staff, and we can't get staff today either. There's no change there. But it's a, it's a real challenge um, managing different kinds of people, especially from different kinds of cultures and nationalities. It's really difficult. Yeah. And um, I found that really hard, even though I'm a pretty open person. I, I just found that the hardest part of it, that and dealing with the banks. <laughs> but at least I could talk. I could talk money. straight to the banks, and they understood my language. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, I, f- I found just dealing with staff and trying to be caring and encouraging and motivating that it was difficult when you were dealing with different cultures. Mm. But that got easier as time went on, and the ethos here has always been that if you work here, you're part of the family. Yeah. And it's quite funny, Mark, I'm sure will agree with me. The people that stay with us, stay with us because they love the environment and the atmosphere. And we've had a load of people get married from here. I mean, I, I think we've made more love stories than you yeah, could think of. Yeah, and you yeah. think, you know, barman's here, yours, Philip Lewis. Yeah, oh, Philip's yeah. there. Yeah. He's nearly nearing on 10. Yeah, I went to school, Philip. Did yeah, you? Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 yeah, but it's that, that it, if everyone's pulling with you, it's great. Mm. But if you've got people that don't understand the ethos and it takes a little longer to get them to understand what you're trying to do, like smile, we smile here, you know. Yeah, whereas some some cultures are not like that. They come yeah. in and they, they, they think it's not good to smile, but we encourage people. No, no, no. Lighten up a little. You're, it's fine. You're not to be in. Don't look like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> people will think you're sad. <laughs> And they, they'd say, no, I'm not sad. And I said, but you look sad, so you're supposed to look happy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you kind of get, you get, you get them moving eventually. I think that was a challenge, yes, but mm. not a big one. But it was different. It was hard, yeah. Mark, what about, what about yourself? The, the people side of things, the challenge for you as well? Or? I think it's, yeah, I don't think it's unique to hospitality, but it is difficult. I would have had a naive understanding and I can feel Edna looking at me about it but I would have had a naive understanding of management and certainly of my current role that you know you, you're the general manager of the hotels you ask someone to do it and they do it but no that doesn't work like that <laughs> <laughs> so I figured out that you have to ask them and you have to ask them again and then you have to ask them don't you do that yeah and you keep going until until they do it um, and I think, I think that's the same in anything people 
you know, if you have a, we have 150 staff here to get everyone pulling in the same direction and to get everyone viewing things the same way and to make sure they're happy and they're getting what they want out of the job um, and mixing all of those views and different outlooks on things, I think is hard, but I think it's, it's hard in any business. And that's been, you know, that's been my biggest challenge, but something I've really enjoyed. And then I suppose we know you are obviously very busy, so we won't keep you too much longer, but 45 years, pretty much done and dusted. Uh, what's next for Fitzpatrick's Castle? Silence. Get the Irish Wolfhounds back. I, uh, yeah, I'm planning to win the lotto. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and when I do, and I'm going to, you know, and when, when I do. Euro millions, the lotto's too small. Yeah, well, exactly. you're right. Yeah. Well, when I do, I'll send a message from the yacht, and they all say, Oh, I want yacht, Mom. The yacht I'm sailing away on. I oh, know, seriously. Um, there's. There's a lot still to do, a yeah. lot more to do. We've got to catch up um, yeah. on investment and we have a big plan to reinvest in the property over the next few years. We're in the middle of refinancing. Uh, when that's put to bed and done, um, I think we're really back on a steady ship and it's to keep it that way and to start a, a, yeah, a basically a re a reinvention program if you want to say renovate we, a yeah. renovate yeah. but we want to reinvent ourselves a little as the well the locals know yeah. the carpets are gone and the, yeah. The, the <laughs> yeah 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 so we can bring back the blue carpet <laughs> and save that money <laughs> so we've 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 a couple of ambitious plans i suppose mm. um and then ideally i'd like to see the boys expand because i don't think that living out of one hotel is going to be enough for them if they want to have families so, and to get me out, it's going to cost them a fortune. <laughs> so, um, I think the only way they'll ever, ever be able to do it is by expansion. Yeah. And so therefore, we'll, we'll in time look for other hotels and try and have a small little group. Yeah. That would be my, my dream anyway. I'd love to see that happen and, yeah. and see, see us expand. Yeah. Well, that, would, that would definitely be our plan, yeah. It's, it's, it's mental to see... Um, it's it's similar in a smaller scale to you know the nightclub club ninety two in Leopardstown. Oh yeah, club it's of love. A, the club yeah. of love. It's <laughs> out, I remember that. It's outlasted. It's oh. outlasted so many other nightclubs in the area. Yeah, similar to yourselves. We had Colony Court. We had Docky oh, Island. Go there too. I'm yeah. there. <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah. It's just they just Eakers. they're just gone, and now uh, you guys are still standing. Mm. Why did why did that happen? I wonder. With, yeah. with the other hotels, there was Colony Court, Docky Island, and yeah. there was a third one I can't think of, wasn't there? Well, I think Docky. Yeah, there was the Kyber Pass. Oh, yeah. it was called it was something called something after that. Cliff, uh, Clifton House. Cliff Castle. It's not Cliff Castle. It was up on the Kyber. It was called the Kyber Pass when I was a kid. But anyway, um, I do Docky Heights. Oh, okay. Um, I I think probably a lot of well I do know that a lot of the hotels that were here locally, um, probably didn't have families that wanted to continue in the business. Oh, we true. did have a succession plan. You have to remember that, and you know it was always planned that if there wasn't a member of family here qualified to to run it, then it would be sold. Okay. So I would have imagined that that was why others sold and didn't didn't go on in the business. Um, I know it's the case in certainly a few of them. Um, and then the development potential 
you know, to develop, for instance, down in Dorky, Dorky Island was developed into beautiful apartments. Kalani Court. Kalani Court yeah, was yeah. as well. But yeah, but I mean, they were developed, they obviously had development opportunities to develop in beautiful locations, apartments, and get out. You know, they didn't, there wasn't anyone there with the will to, to continue in hotel keeping, which is a tough call. And my father always said it, and God, do I know how right he is. You will never make your millions as a hotelier. That's for sure. <laughs> Voice for life there, Graham. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not getting it. Yeah. Better take withdrawing me, bid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, look, Mark, Ethan, congratulations on 45 years and everything else going on. Um, thanks as well for letting us do this, and thanks very much for your time. But I suppose we wish you all the best for the next 45 as well now. Thank you very much. You know. yeah. um, Leave here, Mum. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not answering. <laughs> I, I actually will, Mark, because uh, I'll be back to haunt you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think if I said something like that to my mum, I think she'd be saying, You're never too old for a smack. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'll just haunt him. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you'll have the local saying to you, Your mother used to do it. So yeah. yeah. No, That's great. Well, look, yeah. guys, again, thanks so much for the time and all the best. Thank you. Thank nice. you. Thanks, thanks a so there you have it. There's a brief history of the 45 years of Fitzpatrick's Castle Hotel as well. Really enjoyed that. Lovely people. Yeah, great chat. Great people. Um, Graham, that's it. Look, we're out of time because we ruffled too much around housekeeping and the history of the borough. Yeah. So, so <laughs> we're pretty much done and dusted. Fitzpatrick, as we said, are celebrating 45 years. So on the 19th of May, that's when they're officially celebrating, um, they're going to do a balloon thing. They're releasing 45 balloons, um, but in each balloon... Yeah. There's going to be prizes, like a one night stay in the hotel, Brilliant. a dinner, Brilliant. some drinks, some Brilliant. wine, Brilliant. you know. So look around the borough on the 19th yeah, of May. Yeah, so, so on the 19th, if in the afternoon time you happen to see a load of balloons floating about, the gaff, shoot one of them down. <laughs> yeah, because there's going to be a prize in it. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a great idea. But look, lads, 45 years supporting local stuff and all that. Pop up here, come on, you might as well. Support locals, they support us, that kind of thing. Um but yeah, the nineteenth we'll throw stuff up on our Facebook page about that as well for your for your chance to win some stuff. Uh Facebook.com forward slash WTS pod and Facebook.com forward slash Fitzpatrick Castle or FitzpatrickCastle.com. And that'll do it. And at WTS Pod on Twitter. I was gonna say, and then you can go over to Twitter and get us at WTS Pod, yeah. You can check out our previous chapters, uh WTS Pod on iTunes, and you can go Podbean, Podcast Addict, Podcast Republic, anywhere Stitcher, anywhere there's a podcast. Just search WTS Pod. We're there. Um, you can get me on Twitter at Dan Joe Murray. And you can get me at, Ameri- at American Mania. So and say at American. At American. At American Mania. At American Mania. Um, I love you on Twitter. Just love you in general. Thank you. Just, your Twitter has photos. Look at when I, <laughs> I don't, when I don't see your face for real, I can just go on Twitter and look at your face there. Load it's getting of, creepy. A lot of basketball shots and all. <laughs> Um, and follow at Ballyrack Bulls at Ballyrack Bulls yeah um, yeah that's us I guess yeah well, until next time might God bless <laughs>